Real leaders leave a legacy. They capture the hearts and minds of their teams. Their origin story puts the safety and well-being of their people first. Great companies ubiquitously have safe yet productive operations. For those companies, safety is an investment, not a cost for the C-suite. It's a real topic of daily focus. This is The Safety Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and safety guru, public speaker, and author. Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to The Safety Guru. I'm really excited to have with me Petra Velzeber. She's a mental health expert, a TEDx speaker, and author of Begin With You. Petra, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So we're recording this, obviously, this World Mental Health Day that's uh, coming on to us. So first, I want to hear your story. You have a lot of experience in the mental health space. You, you've committed yourself to doing a lot of work to help organizations create a psychologically uh, an environment that's safe from a psychological standpoint. So tell me a little bit about your story. Sure, thank you. Um, well, I guess I grew up in a really toxic environment, right? So I, I grew up in a religious cult, um, which is a little bit extreme for some. Uh, but interestingly, and I'll go into why this matters to me, but it's interesting how many similarities there are from the, that environment that I like <laughs> fought my way out of. Uh, and the corporate world, right? And and the, the toxicity that I see there. So that, I guess, informs some of my uh, approach. Um, I guess part of my story is, as many of us in the mental health space, I found myself in a time where I was struggling. So I had finally left the cult and some of that buildup of stress and toxicity that I didn't know how to process or let go of or any of those things. Um, and it sort of stacked up and affected me as I, as I left in the form of depression, anxiety, mm. uh, and severe addiction. And so the first steps of learning were to how do I sort myself out, right, and, and develop good mental health myself. And over time, I qualified as a therapist. I now run my business, as you said, uh, and kind of support businesses to have that awareness, both individually, so individual responsibility for our own well-being and mental health, uh, but also organizational, that collective responsibility for safety uh, psychologically uh, to, to support teams. Uh, and so there's, there's a little hint of my perspective. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about some of the skills that are needed to create that environment that fosters mental health or, or good mental health in the workplace. I think the first thing is always self-awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Because we can't quite um, tell other people what to do or how to approach this topic if we're not quite aware of ourselves, our own triggers, uh, our own mental health, uh, the things that help us to build trust, right? So psychological safety effectively is trust, right? When we sure. trust each other, we're comfortable talking about mistakes or collaborating on projects, being vulnerable. And there's loads of evidence, as, as I'm sure many listeners are aware of, you know, when we put ourselves out there vulnerably and create that trust, we actually create more innovation, uh, better products, we sustain success longer term, right? But the actual day-to-day -day work of it is tricky if you don't kind of understand it or know yourself. 
Uh, and so that means like if I'm going to talk to a team member, um, I'm going to want to know, am I exhausted or not my best self or unable to, to, to maybe build trust? Am I blaming? Am I not leading by example myself? And those are the small daily actions and skills that then kind of trickle down and give others permission to put them, themselves out there as well. And so organizations that are wanting to, to drive improvements from a cultural standpoint, here, for example, in Australia, there's a lot of focus lately around uh, legislation around psychosocial risk, as an example, to, to create safer environments for, for workers, both physically, but also emotionally and mentally in terms of the workplace. Tell me about some of the things that organizations can do to embrace and drive that change, because the, the self-awareness, I think, is essential, but that starts with a leader a few leaders, uh, how do you drive that environment? Sure. Um, and I love the psychosocial risk because it does kind of break down against kind of management level, senior leadership level, like what are the things that we need to look out for in order to support safety? And if we think of safety just in, in kind of construction type industries or, or anything like that, uh, if we don't trust and we can't say, hey, I'm having a bad day, I'm not my best self. We've got one of our um, facilitators, actually, who shot a stun gun through his own hand, uh, not because um, safety wasn't in place as far as precautions, mm -hmm. but because health wasn't in place as far as looking after his, his brain and his mindset and being comfortable to say something, right? right. Um, and so these are kind of small examples of the impact. But what organizations can do is firstly open up the conversation, right? Mm -hmm. There's a great book by Amy Edmondson called The Fearless Organization that gives some great tips and tools for, for how to get started. But it really does start with open conversations as a team. So we want to learn some of the, the, the tactics, like, um, but really it's, we're living in a world that's really reactive, right? We're firefighting, we're in a rush, we're in survival mode, right? And so the first step is to take that step back and actually go, actually, if we connect as a team and we discuss psychological safety, where we think it's going well, mm. and the areas where perhaps it isn't, we then now have a baseline to collaborate on this topic, right? Sure. So, I mean, I've worked in companies where some departments say they have psychological safety and others don't, right? So it can be mm -hmm. one organization, but have pockets that feel different depending on the manager and how things are run, perhaps culturally in the country they're in. There's many kind of factors. And I know one of the pieces I was watching one of your your uh, talks and you, you were mentioning a lot of organizations you go in they, when they approach when you approach them and say, what, what are you doing around mental health? They'll talk about helplines, things of that nature. Why is that insufficient? It's a very reactive um, way of approaching things, and it actually um, perpetuates stigma, I think, um, because if it's saying, let's talk about mental health, and then all we talk about is poor mental health, depression, suicide, helplines, and, you know, nobody wants to be part of that club, you know, <laughs> um, and it's only the ones who are really in a real severe chaos space that will be calling those helplines, right? But nobody's going to put their hand up and say, I'm in crisis, you know, in, in that sure. situation. But, but we want to come from a preventative approach. So 10, 20, 30 steps before somebody is in that crisis space where they may need the helpline, 
what's the culture? What's the trust? How can, how can we openly talk about mental health and well-being and performance and all of these things long before it gets to any kind of crisis point? And, you know, people want to be part of the club that is performing and doing right. well and is successful. So I really, my work is about tying those things together performance and well-being, being intrinsic to each other in order to lead successful lives. But in my book, I highlight what does success mean to you, right? It's not just the classic, like, um, am, did I get a promotion? It's like, am I ca connected with my kids, right? Mm -hmm. um, do I get to have the holidays or the downtime that I like? But also, if you're ambitious like me, um, do I have a healthy body and a healthy mind and friendships and networks to enable me to enjoy that journey and not get to the top of the mountain completely fried or burnt out like many people are, forgetting what it's all about in the first place? And, and I know one of the things as well you, you talk about is the the changing workplace and the obviously a lot of people now we've worked in a hybrid environment or a remote environment. How has How does that impact a healthy, a mentally safe, healthy environment? So I think it's about change, right? And so <laughs> hybrid work is one part of that change. But in a post-pandemic you know, world, there's been so much uncertainty, so much change, and that is uh, making many people sit firmly in that survival mode, right? For much longer than really our bodies are kind of set out to sit in that space, right? Um, really, you want survival mode to be like, that immediate fight or flight reaction because I need to decide to stay safe, right? But these days you get a notification on your phone and your body doesn't know the difference between a real threat or a perceived threat. So our nervous system kind of spikes as if something terrible is going on. Now, um, remote work can have a negative effect on some people's mental health, but mm -hmm. I'm hesitant to say that that's the problem, right? I'm sure. a fully remote team uh, and we discuss, you know, um, mental health all the time and people feel more connected than ever. And part of that is to do with flexibility, autonomy and trust. Mm -hmm. So when you have flexibility, autonomy and trust, then people feel like they can um, work wherever is their be wherever they can be their best selves, right? Sure. And so if that means coming in to have some face-to-face -face time or working from home, I mean, it really works for us, right? And it's, it's the most um, kind of healthy way that we can work as a team. What's interesting is the amount of um, policies popping up, right? So <laughs> our, our hybrid or remote work policy, right? As if there's like, we must maybe control the masses a little bit <laughs> and have a very fixed view of what this needs to look like. As if any of us have been in this situation before and sure. can claim that the exact 3-2 ratio or 2-3 ratio is the way we'll be the most productive, right? So I want more leaders to be open and collaborative with their people. So with my team, we will have discussions about how we work, not just what we do. When do you work at your best self, right? Is sure. it the morning? Is it, is it at home? What are the conditions that enable you to feel your best? So having those kind of conversations enables you to understand your team, uh, for people to know what flexibility actually means for your industry, because sometimes there's loads of assumptions going on and people get nervous when they're, they don't quite understand w what's expected. But also managers saying, hey, we're going to try this thing, right? Two, mm -hmm. two days in or whatever it might be. Um, 
let's discuss if it's working for us or if so, if we need to change it. Like that's more of a collaborative way to build psychological safety through a process rather than acting like top down. We know exactly how this should go. And if you don't comply, you know, it's your fault. You're burnt sure. out. You need to leave that sort of thing. Um, the, the flip side is for some people, a lack of connection and belonging and that isolation piece we're seeing affect mental health negatively in, in, in lots of ways as well. And one of the themes I hear a lot in, in the hybrid environment is people challenged with a disconnecting from the work, right? So it's in a workplace, you would work, say, nine to five or whatever hours you worked in, you went home and it was easier to create that separation. And, and even as people have moved to more hybrid environments or continued in a virtual environment, it's, it's how do I drive that disconnect? Um, to, to be able to separate. It's, it's creating boundaries, right? right. And, and in the past, it feels like um, the boundaries were more fixed by your role, right? You, everyone leaves at this time, I can sort of see them leaving, and I walk out, I have the train ride or drive or whatever it might be to listen to music or read my book or scroll or whatever it is, and it creates that buffer. But, but these days, first of all, it's harder to um, maintain habits because two days you're in the in uh, the office, a couple of days you're home. So, you know, your your routine might be different on different days. And so for many people, it's hard to have that kind of consistency. Um, but um, these days we need to take more ownership of our own boundaries, right? Because you could, your laptop's at home, you could be working on your phone, you could be doing these things. True. So it takes that like um, self-awareness and ownership to go, this is the boundary I will now take responsibility for. Um, so I work at home at the end of my day. I'm probably going to go for a walk just so I can before my kids are around and I have to do any of that. So that's me creating my own kind of buffer or boundary to top and tail the day. Mm -hmm. Everybody's different. Our well-being tools and plans can change. That's totally fine. Um, but it takes this little moment of reflection to go, how do I feel? What's good for me? And is the kind of technology addiction or work addiction kind of um, catching up with me in some way? And are there things that organizations can do to drive, to, to help people to essentially drive that separation, those boundaries, essentially? Two key things. So one is, again, having explicit conversations about expectations, mm -hmm. right? Because when there's confusion and maybe the more junior people feel nervous about asking, right, that what they do is they, they watch people. So this is the other piece. Um, are your managers and leaders leading by example? And that doesn't mean mm. everyone has to finish at five, right? Because sure. sometimes they might start later, they might have a project on, but it does mean openly talking about what we do to invest in our well-being. And that's like a question we ask each other openly in my team. It's like, what are you doing today to invest in your well-being? Or how are you going to close your day off? Like we have those kind of challenges and open conversations. And it might be different, right? We've got some of the team have kids and might pick them up and then work later. That's totally fine. But we have had the conversation. So there is no like mm. whisper, whispers of, oh, that person's not around. We kind of get what their routine is because we've openly talked about it. So... Managers and leaders leading by example is um, 
not just saying I'm going to switch off and, and that's one part of it, but it's also I've got this real important meeting and when that's finished, because it's really stressful, I'm going to make sure I hit the gym or I call someone or, you know, it's like how are we managing our stresses throughout the day effectively? That's the important piece. This episode of the Safety Guru Podcast is brought to you by Propolo Consulting, the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, de develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety leadership training and talent solutions, Propolo has you covered. Visit us at propolo.com. Very, very interesting and really good points on this one. So we touched a little bit on psychological safety and Amy Edmondson's work. Uh, you touched about mental health in the workplace. In my opinion, they're not necessarily the same thing because psychological safety, at least the way I interpret it, is from reading Amy's work is more, do I feel comfortable speaking up, right? Raising issues but it doesn't necessarily, it's a key component, but doesn't necessarily mean that it's an, a workplace that fosters a healthy mental well-being. Um, how do you draw that delineation? Because I've seen in some organizations where they confuse both. They say, oh, I'm, I'm dealing with psychological safety, therefore I'm addressing the mental well-being of my workforce. Key component, but not necessarily complete cause and effect. That's amazing that you've divided it in that way because you can be psychologically safe in a very blinkered workplace um, process, right? So we talk about when we failed, like, hey, we're all um, iterating a project. This didn't work. This did work. And we feel comfortable talking in the work context. Um, and if you think of maybe some of the tech companies out there, right? Uh, lots of introverts statistically, lots of men statistically, but certainly, you know, let's make this product better. So maybe purpose driven yep. is, is something that really helps that side of things. Um, but they would never say, how's your mental health today? Right. <laughs> right. Um, or what have you done to invest in yourself? Right. Or any of that kind of language. So for me, that's about practicing bravery. It's the same concepts because it's building trust, at, but people are less practiced. In, in, in kind of using those skills that Amy Edmondson talks about and kind of moving them into a space that is about the person. So the individual, sure. not just the collective task. And so for me, it's about um, the same ideas, leading by example, trust, bravery, these sorts of things, but then talking about the human that is connected to the project, right? Like, what are you really passionate about? What lights you up? Like questions mm -hmm. like this. And you can do this in, either formal or informal ways. So, so in my team, we'll do the top of a, a team meeting once a week. Um, we'll kind of take turns and somebody will ask a question like that. What's the biggest challenge you're facing at the moment, personally or professionally? And somebody might nice. say, oh, to be honest, this thing's going on, right? Or what's one thing you're grateful for? Or what's your be the best holiday you ever had? Whatever, it's just little things that can be playful or serious or deep. Um, that helps us get to know the person, which enhances mm. the trust and safety of the work and the purpose uh, on that side. But it also means you have built the building blocks so that if someone is struggling, right, and we know that, that countless people are experiencing burnout, the suicides are high, uh, depression, anxiety, these sorts of things, you now have the foundation where you can actually talk about these things. 
but there's a kind of misconception. A lot of managers don't want to ask these questions for a few reasons. One is they think immediately that that person needs time off. <gasps> what if everybody has time off, you know, and duvet days because <laughs> everyone's like, oh, not feeling well. Um, but actually the opposite is often true, that people are not looking for time off. When you're coming from a prevention perspective, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's actually like, oh, the fact that I could say it has given me some relief. And sure. then my questions as a leader might be, what's one small thing you can do to manage your mental health or to, to kind of tackle that situation? And then how can I help, right? Mm -hmm. And often, you know, they'll say, oh, it was just the fact that, that I was able to say it and thanks for your support, you know. And then, of course, that you do have helplines in places that, that can add value, right? And then the other fear that managers have is they won't know the answer, right? They won't know how to fix the thing that the person comes with. I'm going through a divorce or my kid's struggling or I'm experiencing depression. And as, as you probably know, you don't actually need to fix it, right? right? The thing that supports is listening, creating that safe space. And then I would follow that with empowering personal solutions. So it doesn't actually, so just to some of the training we do is relieving some of those um, pressures that we kind of imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, to kind of bridge some of the skills for psychological safety, but into the well-being mental health arena. So, so uh, tell me a little bit about your book, Begin With You, and then I'd love to hear afterwards a little bit about some of the work that you do in terms of the interventions with organizations to help foster the right environment. Sure. Thank, thanks so much. Uh, so my book came out at the early stages of this year. It's called Begin With You. It's a business book but, uh, published by Kogan Page, and it has a bit more of my story. So if you, you were intrigued by the like, oh, cult life, who is this person? <laughs> um, I certainly go deep into to some of that and also the connections that I make from that personal experience and then the studies that I've done uh, on the world of um, the workplace, but also I call it groupthink, right? So you, you'll sure. be familiar with, with that phrasing. Like even in the well-being space, we've got all these like influencers telling you the three-step plan to be your best <laughs> and the framework for whatever, right? And, and my challenge to people is to learn to think for themselves. In a world of information overload, um, how can mm -hmm. we actually take that minute to reflect and go, what does my body need? because it will be different than someone else. And so we're almost in this stage of, um, you know, kind of frantically trying to do well-being, right? If I meditate, if I have the cold shower, if I journal, if I practice gratitude, if I climb a mountain, you know, like all the things. <laughs> it's like this sort of competitive well-being. Uh, and I'd like people to, so that's what the book is about, challenging the, the concept of what this means and kind of refocusing on whatever success means to you and building mm -hmm. that, that narrative. Uh, so, so that's a little bit about that. And of course, it informs the work that I do, which is around helping businesses from a couple levels. So one is their strategy. So what's your strategic approach around well-being and how does it link to your diversity agenda, your health and safety agenda? You know, because we're seeing lots of silos, especially in bigger yeah, businesses, agreed. right, where well-being is like over there. But then all these other components are in different silos, not really coordinating or they don't have a shared uh, comms plan. So they're almost competing for like, no, I need this date for my awareness day or I need to put on my talk. And, you know, we want people to um, kind of coordinate because that's when you can all be successful together. And so that's around 
helping business, helping well-being leads as well, um, evidence the return on investment of what they're doing. Because it can be a little bit throw things at the wall and see what sticks, you know. Um, and so from that information, when we can sort of um, assess where a business is at, our job is to then advise them on that step-by-step -step plan, uh, offer leadership training, um, virtual sessions in person. And, you know, we, we like the real in-person stuff uh, or virtual, but as in live, because sure. it um, just fosters connection and belonging, which is what we think is really important to, to well-being in the workplace. And, and your point on coordination, I think, is incredibly important because often safety is an example, which is a topic we touch on in this podcast the most is physical safety. But it's intrinsically linked to mental health well-being, because if you're not fully there, your, your headspace is not in the work in front of you, you're more likely to get injured. And if you're not connected to the worker, understanding the things that are impacting them today, You're more, you're more likely to see somebody actually get physically injured as well. But again, like you said, tends to be well-being done somewhere in HR, safety done in somewhere in the safety organization as opposed to trying to connect those dots. Well, and I, I, even worse than that, I've seen kind of HR maybe be mostly female-led um, and then the frontline staff perhaps being mostly male or, have, you know, have a different demographic. Yep. And so it's like, listening to your people and communicating messages that you know because i've literally seen like posters that were like purple and flowers and pink and yoga poses and you're like you're just not reaching the demographic and the language that's going to make sense to them right so it's like these little tweaks to help it feel real you know like do you want to spend time with your family do you what do you what's the legacy you want to leave what do you want to be proud of right um, financial, you know, cost of living crisis is, is, is impacting people. So how do we make it real? And I'm hearing a lot of like, oh, we've got these old school people in our industry or, or we've got people who just don't get it. I love getting in a room with people who just don't get it <laughs> because you will very quickly find that if you talk about your own struggles, right, and then you open up a floor that normalizes this and isn't just like, hey, are you crazy? Like, there's so much stigma, right? They just right. normalize, hey, we've all been through a pandemic. We've all been through yep. um, cost of living or whatever challenges. Very quickly, those people who just don't get it will start opening up about the stuff going on for them. And now we've got a connection point to build from. Absolutely. So Petra, thank you very much for, for sharing your, your story, uh, for talking about your, your book, Begin With You. Um, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Um, so LinkedIn is where I am the most active and put out loads of free content and resources. But my website as well, petravelzabor.com. You can see everything that we do and reach me there as well. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to The Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Elevate your safety. Like every successful athlete, top leaders continuously invest in their safety leadership with an expert coach to boost safety performance. Begin your journey at execsafetycoach.com. Come back in two weeks for the next episode with your host, Eric Makrowski. This podcast is powered by Propolo Consulting.